This is the John Oakley Show podcast. All right, a great day for talk radio, the Friday edition. Always uh, made better with the presence of Conrad Black. It's also been a good week for Donald Trump, needless to say. So uh, with the confluence of those two, let's get the discussion started. Conrad, how are you doing this afternoon? Fine, thanks, John. How are you? Very good. Uh, Donald Trump, would you say, has had a good week to this point? Very good week, yeah. Yeah. Uh, do you sense that the Dems might have overplayed their hand as far as he's concerned with the whole thing, the impeachment that was dead on arrival in the Senate, as well as, uh, you know, some of the other stuff that's happened, Nancy Pelosi uh, with her histrionics uh, behind him at the State of the Union address? <laughs> yeah, it, look, it, there were, uh, it, rising above whatever anybody thinks of Trump personally, the fact is it was a totally spurious accusation. Uh, the the um, authors of the impeachment case acknowledged that they weren't accusing him of doing anything illegal and made the argument that you didn't have to do anything illegal to be impeached and removed as president, which is a very difficult argument to, argument to make, as Alan Dershowitz, amongst others, pointed out. But the fact is, they adduced no evidence whatsoever that he was guilty of what he charged them of, and it is almost notoriously known and settled law that what they charged him of does not qualify as an impeachable offense. So the whole thing was nonsense. It was just an exercise in whether the Democrats and their mouthpieces and parrots and the anti-Trump media could whip the country up enough that the public opinion polls would, would induce some Republicans to flake away and really embarrass Trump, and none of it worked. But the, the bigger thing is the Democrats, since they <clears throat> never accepted that he'd actually been fairly elected, uh, and always represented him as an illegitimate president, have had for three years some kind of a moral or legal sort of Damocles hanging over Trump's head. First, the nonsense about the Russian collusion, and then this phony impeachment with, a, with an abuse of the Whistleblower Act. And this guy's no whistleblower, for God's sakes. And the whole thing was rigged up by Schiff and his committee as is about to come out. Now they don't have that anymore, and they have to face Trump's record. And his record is full employment, 80% reduction of illegal immigration, lowest 20% of income earners rising faster than the top. He's the only leader in the world who's addressing you know, the disparity of income gap. And, and uh, it's a very strong record he's got, and that's what they've got to deal with now, because the bunk about saying he's morally unfit to hold the office he was elected to won't fly anymore. Well, he was certainly crowing about that during the State of the Union and in the aftermath the next day. By being well, and the State of the Union was the night before he was actually cleared, but the, but you're right. All right, my apologies on the timeline. I'm just wondering if this is all now redounding on the Democrats, uh, that, you know, it doesn't look good on them. His approval ratings have shot up. Yeah, and, and the, you know, I think at some point the country has to, you know, take notice of the fact that the candidates for the Democratic nomination are completely unfeasible. I mean, the only one of them that you would hire to empty inkwells is Michael Bloomberg. <laughs> he's not exactly a, you know, a rabble rouser himself, you know. I mean, he's a very able man, but but he he, he starts, I mean, he has no 
following whatever outside the area between uh, you know Wall Street and Columbia University in Manhattan and neither neither to the east of the East River to the west of the Hudson River or the north of the Harlem River and uh, and and he's no spellbinder I mean he's an able man but he's an able businessman going out to try and be a politician I mean, Trump even his enemies admit is a great entertainer and has done quite a job organizing this this mighty army of supporters that he has well, and that's the interesting thing, because, you know, Bernie Sanders has a similar mighty army, but he's, uh, you know, the extreme uh, polarity here with uh, on the political ledger. But now he's somehow being eclipsed by Mayor Pete, Pete Buttigieg. Uh, I mean, it was a razor thin victory in the Iowa caucuses on to New Hampshire. And they say the recent polls show Pete surging. I mean, does this guy have the stuff that uh, might actually oppose Trump credibly? No, I don't think so. Uh, I mean, he has no qualifications. He was not a particularly successful mayor of a town smaller than East York. And uh, uh, and he is pretty far out. Now, when he got a look at where the wind was blowing in the, in the Democratic, uh, you know, the to and fro between the candidates running up to the primaries, he, he, he trimmed sails a bit and moved towards the center. Uh, when when he saw the Biden campaign crumbling, but but the real the real Mayor Pete gets pretty far out on health care and you know obligatory you know, the coercive measures in health care and and taxes he wants to you know soak the rich and redistribute money and buy votes and uh, it, it's he he's he's finessed it a little bit to get to the right of, of, of Sanders and try and take votes away from Biden, who's slipping anyway. Uh, but no, I mean, no, you, you, this guy's not qualified to be president. He's very fluent. But you no, know, if you think about it, you can't agree with much of what he says. I'm not talking about the sexual orientation thing. I, I don't think that disqualifies him. I don't think people are much concerned with that, nor should they be. Conrad, do you think there might be an agenda by the Democrat establishment to undermine Bernie Sanders? Yeah, well, that's the assumption. I mean, look, they, they as Trump described it in proper Manhattanese, he, he was schlonged last time. <laughs> he was schlonged to make way for Obama. Then, then Bernie was schlonged to make way for Hillary. And it looks like, you know, you see Podesta, who's <laughs> doubtless going to receive a very sharply formulated letter from the special counsel soon, coming back onto the National Committee, despite all his uh, indiscretions in Russia and so forth. And and um, and it looks like they're cranking up with these ex officio delegates, you know, the so-called super delegates, to you know the non-elected ones, right? To to uh, try and uh, sandbag Bernie again. Uh, but the question is, are they going to try and put Bloomberg or Klobuchar in his place? Klobuchar. I, yeah. Well, I look. Uh, I'm the only person who thinks she has any shot to go anywhere because. <laughs> She's in the tradition of the Democrats. You know, she's a Minnesota senator. She's, you know, she's not a, a sort of dynamic candidate like Hubert Humphrey was, but she's sort of Walter Mondale in drag. You know, and she's not frightening. Uh, <laughs> and, but I mean, she can't win, but at least she'd avoid a disaster. I mean, if the Democrats are not careful, they're they're going to take an absolutely horrible pasting because if they if they nominate Sanders and they might I mean I what what do I know if I assume he'll win in New Hampshire he's a neighboring state he almost won in Iowa um, and and if, if he if he holds his own in Super Tuesday which is just four weeks uh, fifteen states at once including California and Texas the two biggest ones. 
if they nominate Sanders, Trump will take every single state for the yeah. first time since James Monroe. He'll take everything except the District of Columbia. But, you know, Bloomberg's going all in on Super Tuesday. He's spending all his yeah, money. You know, this is his big show, but, I mean, I may be out of date here, so I, I want to be careful. I'm not being very assertive on this point, but the last I saw, he was only at 10% in California. And, uh, you know, he did. I, I mean, I, I know Michael Bloomberg. I've known him a long time. He's a very able man, but, he, but he's not a great galvanizing public personality. And the last election for mayor of New York cost him $170 per vote. Well, that's $14 billion <laughs> in a presidential election. And, and, and uh, I mean, he could afford that. But, but the Republican National Committee and Donald Trump aren't poor either, you know. He'd, he'd waste his money and still lose the election. So, I mean, he's, but he would be a plausible candidate. I mean, he's a, clearly had a distinguished career and would be a competent president. But, but uh, can you buy your way in that fast? I, I, you know, you know the Democratic Party and your listeners do. It's all, historically, it's a working class people and it tends to be lower middle class and, and, and academics who are highly educated but not particularly wealthy and not particularly capitalistic. And the spectacle of some guy rolling in and, and, and just buying wall-to-wall ads in every market. And, uh, and, and, you know, when he said, when he uh, when asked, do you think the country wants two New York billionaires? And he said, who's the other one? You know, I, I mean, his friends thought that was a very witty thing to say. But, uh, I, you know, I don't think the American public is that impressed with some guy saying, I have more billions than Trump does. You know, I mean, I, 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 just, I just wonder how popular that is. Well, I just wonder about the fervor for anybody but Trump, and that might be the... Uh Telling tale. Well, the, the, there certainly is a, a very large number of people that dislike Trump, but but some of them are on the left, like Sanders, and some of them are more to the center, and and some of them are, are authentic conservatives, the old never Trumpers, like uh, you know Bill Kristol and George Will, and these people. I don't think they're all that numerous, but they're there. But on the other hand, Trump has the support, according to polls, of ninety-four percent of the Republicans and basically half the country. Well, not uh, Mitt Romney, no. Supporters are are they're they're an army. I mean, they'll they, if he said, if he said, uh, Sanders and Clinton and Obama will pay for this. Uh, you know, his followers would storm out and try and burn their houses. <laughs> no, he, he doesn't say that. But well, the, listen, you know. Conrad, he may have the support of the bulk of Republicans, but not Mitt Romney. What did you make of that? Well, look, I, I I hate to say this, and I don't know. I've never met Mitt Romney, so I, I you know, there, there, I, I can't mind read him, and I can't say too much about him as an individual. But um, I don't think any rational, serious person uh, could could look at the facts and the law in this impeachment case and think there was any possible conscientious reason to vote to convict the president. There was no evidence of any wrongdoing. So what was Mitt's thinking? Well, again, I can't mind read, but... Just petulance? Well, he's he's too intelligent to believe that there was a real legal case. So and he and he you know he 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 acquitted him on the other charge on the second charge, so I I just can't see that it was anything except I hate Trump and I'm going to stick it to him. Now I have no problem with that. I understand someone hating somebody else. I mean Ecclesiastes said there's a time to love and a time to hate. I understand that Trump, that, that Romney hates Trump and I don't think Trump much cares for Romney. But the but what I didn't like was his swaddling it in this toe curlingly embarrassing talk about religion. I mean, I respect someone's religion, including his, but 
but I, I don't believe that that had anything to do with it. I think he, he hated Trump, which is his right, and he lied about his reason. Conrad Black, uh, a few more quick ones here. Uh, I see where the job numbers in Canada for January just went up 34,500. Some people are saying we should wish for uh, four more years of Trump because we're really riding on the coattails of the U.S. economy. Would that be about right? I I think so, yeah. The the thing that scares me in Canada economically is is not our ability to ride on what looks like a long-running boom continuing at least through this year. In the United States, it's the investment numbers. Uh, they, as, uh, according to all the numbers I see, the foreign investment in Canada shrunk by 80% in five years, and Canadian investment outside Canada has tripled in the same time. And people vote with their wallets, and that's that's going to that's going to back up and hurt us. But in, 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 you know, so much of our it's still, I think, about 40% of our GDP is trade with the U.S., and that market is booming and just booming. Lastly, I've got to ask you, this was a recent development, Uh, Patrick Moore. You're familiar with Dr. Patrick Moore. He's a climate skeptic, uh, co-founder of Greenpeace. Yes. Uh, The city of Regina had hired him to uh, be a keynote speaker. I I, I had dinner with him a couple of weeks ago in Vancouver. Oh, well, you see, uh, you know that he's controversial to a lot of minds. And so uh, with the city of Regina now getting a lot of heat because they've hired him as a keynote speaker at uh, one of their... Uh, whatever it is, symposiums there, reimagine uh, Regina. And uh, they want they want to quash the thing because there's so much uh, backlash to his being, uh, I guess, uh, hired to be the speaker. Uh, what do you make of that? I mean, is this a I case... I think it's outrageous. Anything like that's outrageous. And I would say it if, uh, of anyone they hired, unless it was somebody who was seriously offensive. I mean, if they, if they hired which would never happen if they hired a Nazi or something like that. I mean, obviously, that would be outrageous. But uh, the, the, the notion that, that, there, that 97% of the scientists and the experts agree on everything about climate change is complete rubbish. It's just a truism they utter to try and strengthen their case. The fact is there's great dissent on the subject. And Moore is a very conscientious, decent man. He's, as you say, he was the founder of Greenpeace, and, and, and he parted with the movement. That sort of thing happens. Uh, I mean, if they'd want to have, if they wanted to make it a second speaker who had took a different view with him, nothing wrong with that. But he was a perfectly good man to invite. He's an interesting, substantial man, highly intelligent, high integrity, and he and he argues his case well. And 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 it's time people heard that case. I mean, this this effort, not just in climate matters, but to stamp out anything except the conventional wisdom. It, that is precisely what we have a democracy to avoid, it, to, to get a variety of opinion, let the people decide, have a, have a, a full public debate, keeping out only um, people who are an absolute affront to public order or public decency. All right. Although to a lot of minds, the jury's already in on this one, but Patrick Moore is considered... Yeah, well, well they'd they better go back to the jury room. Because, <laughs> you know, He's considered a heretic. Uh, all right. Hey, listen, Conrad, well, it's always a pleasure. Some people think we're all heretics, you know? <laughs> that's, that's true. We're all going to burn at the stake. Uh, Conrad Black, author, commentator, and historian. Always appreciate it. We'll talk next Friday. Right, sure. Thanks, John. All right. Thanks for listening to the John Oakley Show podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you get your on-demand audio.